Well, it's great to see everyone. And as Mike said, it's Father's Day. You know, he said that. I didn't hear anybody giving it up for fathers. What's going on? Okay, there. All right. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're you dads, we're glad that you're here. And uh, for the rest, everybody, thanks for being here today. Hope you're enjoying our service. A lot of good things happening. And again, as Kendra said on our video announcements, uh, just appreciate so much that you guys stepped up again uh, just with me mentioning it last Sunday and, and raised, raised $5,000 that we sent uh, over there to Boots on the Ground, people we know and trust uh, on the border to help those people that are burned out and surviving with their families in, in the jungle of uh, Myanmar. So anyway, thank you. We also have that news that I wanted to share with you, which is uh, Jake, our own Jake Wookie. And the uh, Olympic men's Olympic archery team, they qualified yesterday to compete in the Olympics in Tokyo. So great stuff. So congratulations uh, to Jake and um, cool for us. Any, some, of, some of us got to watch that online. Anybody see that online? It's kind of cool to be able to watch that. And here before, in, when he was out in Utah, that was just getting on the team. But then USA team hadn't had their spot in the Olympic Games. You have to qualify to do that, and they were able to do that. So Great stuff, and uh, just appreciate your prayers for him. We're in a series called Faith That Walks, and that's what the book of James is all about. And so in the first couple of chapters in James, we learn that, hey, faith shows up in how we live. Faith shows up in our external actions. Real faith does. If we have real faith, it shows. And now, as we go into chapter 3, James is going to tell us something else, and he's going to tell us that not only does it show up by what we do, our external actions, but real faith, saving faith, also shows up in our inner attitudes. And specifically, it shows up through self-control. It's kind of interesting because when... When we think about spiritual maturity, as we grow, we become a believer just through faith. It's, it's just a gift. And then we grow closer and closer to God as we, in gratitude, just want to follow him, know more about him. And then we mature as a believer as that process takes hold. And, it, and if you think about it, what's the number one mark of spiritual maturity? Because there's a lot of Christian qualities, but what's the number one mark? I mean, it could be humility or sacrifice or prayer or wisdom that, that we're asking God for or involvement or gratitude. But there are many spiritual qualities. But here James, in chapter 3 specifically, and he's already mentioned it once, he draws our attention to one above all, and that is controlling our tongue. He's telling us, hey, faith shows up in the outside by what we do, but on the inside it shows up in our attitude, and it's an attitude of self-control. And self-control, the way we can most tell if somebody has self-control is by what comes out of their mouth. So that's what James is teaching us. And, and He's basically going to start out teaching, teaching us that, hey, the, the tongue is a small thing, but it causes big problems. 
And we get that. And James is going to illustrate it. And today, what we would use to illustrate that is something like a nuclear weapon. You know, we live in an age where you can make a very small bomb that could be amazingly destructive. And we all know that. And that's why we're concerned when, when countries like Iran are developing nuclear capabilities. Everybody should take note of that. That could really be problematic. But actually, there's a weapon that's just as destructive, but way harder to detect. And that is biological warfare. And so we, we should know about that because if you, if you watch actual news, you've probably heard this term a lot, gain of function research. How many have heard that? Gain of function. And so that's when people are studying viruses and they get a virus to gain a function. Specifically, what, what they've been doing is uh, they'll isolate a virus that's harmful to a species like, you know, bats is what we've been hearing about. And then they, they get this virus and they manipulate it in such a way where this virus that was harmless to human beings becomes harmful to people. And so they cross it like with, with a virus that infects people, and now you have a new virus that never harmed people before that has crossed over and it can become deadly. And, and so the, the issue about that is we, we hear about gain-of-function research. It really sounds a lot like biological warfare, you know? It's creating a virus that has not been exposed to human beings before and then, you know, hurts people. And so the weird thing is, is that we fund this. And so we fund it. And we might ask, well, why do we fund it? Well, the reason that we fund it is because theoretically, as we study these viruses and we, may, we change them to where they become harmful to human being, we can study what changed in the virus and we can start to isolate more information about the virus, and then theoretically, that might give us a head start on developing a vaccine. Of course, the weird thing about it is we're only developing a vaccine for something that we created. I mean, we didn't need a vaccine before we created it. And then it really gets weird because all this is happening mainly in Wuhan, China, and by our tax dollars, you know, in a country that has traditionally been our one of our biggest enemies for the last 20 years or so, and this is all happening, but that's kind of an, another story. And oh, by the way, and where they have that lab in Wuhan, where they study, I mean, the name of the lab talks about coronavirus, and that just so happens to be where the coronavirus showed up, COVID, you know, but people were saying last year, no connection, you know, nothing to see here. And now everybody's going, okay, well, yeah, we, we need to check that out. Yes, that would be a good thing. But anyway, that's my, but here's my point. My point is something very small, even microscopic, can be deadly. And the problem with this gain-of-function stuff, of even, even developing a, a vaccine, is once you do that, it's even more effective as a biological weapon. C can you see that? If you can develop a, a, a virus that is deadly to human beings, more deadly than COVID, and before it gets out, you can also develop a vaccine. Well, then for biological warfare, you could inoculate through a vaccine all your people or your army. 
and then let the vaccine out to destroy the other countries or their economies or their army or whatever it is. You know, so that's, it it's, it's, can be very deadly. It can be way more deadly than what we've experienced. This is really what James is telling us. Something very small can have a huge impact. And that's how he starts off chapter three. Something very little can be extremely powerful. And James says, hey, we have something like that that we walk around with every day. And it's called our tongue. What we say, it's little, but it can cause huge, huge damage. And so James talks about the power of the tongue and the potential of the tongue. And that's what I want us to see. And we're going to start out with the power of the tongue. And we see that starting off in the first couple of verses of James chapter 3. Here's what he says. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So here James is telling us, and he's going to continue telling us about the power of the tongue. And he's giving us a warning. And first of all, he's telling us, hey, the seriousness of the tongue shows its power. It's not only powerful, this is serious. And he talks about the responsibility of a teacher. And he's basically saying, and he's saying this in a Christian context, because this is a letter that's being distributed around a bunch of first century churches. And he's saying, hey, don't be quick to become a teacher. You need to take this very seriously because we teach with the tongue. And so be careful. He's not discouraging people that want to teach God's word, but he's saying, hey, be careful. He's warning them because teachers of God's word will be judged more strictly. You know, kind of to much is given, much will be required, Jesus said. It's the same kind of thought. Why? Because teachers teach God's word. And our main instrument in doing that is the tongue. And the tongue is tricky because the tongue can cause all kinds of bad things to happen. So he's telling us, be careful because the tongue can easily be misused. Now, I can tell you from my own experience, when I first became a pastor, it was here. I mean, the first time I pastored was here in Fremont. And I came here and I was a youth pastor and uh, did some custodial work. And then, but about three years, I had zero experience, but I had been to seminary and graduate school. And about three years later, I became the senior pastor. And this was kind of freaky to me. This is what freaked me out. I'm realizing there's no senior pastor. <laughs> now it's me, you know, whoa, uh-oh. And so I'm, and I'm thinking about, okay, because I've heard about people that would study the Bible and then they would preach a message on it. And then years later, maybe 10 years or 20 years later, they would realize, oh, that's really not what that passage said. It, it really means, what it really means is this. I just sort of use that passage to, you know, as a jumping off point, And I kind of went on with whatever I want to talk about. And that kind of freaked me out because I thought, well, what if that happens to me? What if after studying a passage and I try to get it down, I try to stay true to God's word, you know, I'm trying to do all that. And then I preach it. And then 10 or 20 years later, 
I realize, wow, I kind of got, I put the wrong angle on that. That's really not what God was saying right there. That's not what, if it was in James, for example, that James was really trying to communicate. That freaked me out. That terrified me. I mean, I took that seriously. I prayed about that all the time. I still do pray for every week. I pray, God, let me be accurate in how I'm expounding on your word. Don't let me introduce some foreign ideas here. Help me be true to your word. That is a prayer that I pray multiple times and right here on the platform every Sunday morning. That's part of what I'm praying, you know, because it's huge because I don't want that to happen, which Incidentally, that hasn't happened in 30 years of ministry, but it just, it's freaky because you're preaching God's word. You don't want to misrepresent it. It's from God. And I'm just a man, you know, so we want to get that right. So um, the teacher's responsibility is huge. You know, and all of us as believers, we should promote God's truth and we want to do it accurately. I mean, I actually went to Bible college for a year before I ever thought I'd be in ministry, just so when I was talking about God, I would get it right, because it was important, you know, so I, I you know, and some here may even become pastors, you know, or, or teachers, or, but we all teach in some way, and so big responsibility, and God can use anybody. Hello? I know that, you know, so a teacher's responsibility is heavy, because the tongue is so difficult to control. It's so easy to get what we say wrong. We can misrepresent God's word. Uh, that fact, that lack of self-control shows up the most quickly, you know, in our speech. You know, dads, we need to get a real tight grip on this. You know, what comes out when we lash out or when we respond quickly? You know, it can damage people. It can damage our kids. And it's, after 30 years of counseling, I can tell you, there's different, people react to these things differently. Some people, they just kind of grew up and it's just part of them that when somebody has really ticked them off, they will respond with words that, are, that they don't even believe, that are just designed to hurt, maim, and kill. I mean, they just let it rip. And they don't even really mean it because like two hours later, they're okay. But man, they unleashed on somebody. They said things that they just said just because they knew it would push this person's buttons and it would just cut them to the quick. And then the per people receiving that, some people are that way too. And so to them, they get that and sort of water off a duck's back and two hours later, they're okay too. And you know, you go out to eat and you know, everything's good. But some people, when that lands on them, they, that crushes them, and they don't rebound from that. And 20 years later, they remember that event and the words that were said. That's how powerful words can be. You know how that shows up in our lives? Uh, you, this is like in a marriage, you'll have an argument. You know, I mean, we have disagreements. We're two different people. So we think about things and sometimes, you know, we come up with different points of view. If you ever find yourself spending most of your time arguing, especially with your spouse, and most of the time you're arguing, you're arguing about the argument rather than the original thing, that's a words problem. You know, hey, 
do, do, we want, do we want a blue or a green car? Blue, green, no, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And all of a sudden there's an argument. But then all of a sudden things are said because people get angry. And then you spend two hours talking about the words that were said. Now you're arguing about the argument and what you're arguing about, that's long gone. That doesn't even matter, right? Anybody else experience this? I know, yeah. So I've heard you guys tell me. Now, yeah, anyway. This lack of self-control, you know, unkind, untrue, reckless words spoken among believers can cause major damage. And believers. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen at church. It's primarily what James is talking about. But also work, home, everywhere. And then he kind of throws out this evidence of the perfect man. Man, you never mess up and you're talking. You never say anything wrong. You never mess that up. Never at fault in what you say. Well, you can do that. You can keep your whole body in check. You can, you can attain spiritual maturity if you always get that right. But that's super hard and only possible you know, with God's help. And then James talks about the strength of the tongue shows its power. Next verse is verse 3. says, now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. And so he throws out his first century illustrations, a bit, a little piece of metal in a horse's mouth, and you're controlling this, you know, 1,500 pound beast, you know, a ship even bigger. And, and you got the tiller on the back with a rudder and you're controlling where that goes is what he's bringing out. It's little, but it exerts a huge effect is what he's saying. That's just like our tongue. And then he talks about the scorch of the tongue shows its power. Look what he says, continuing there in, in verse five. He says, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defies the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. He's saying, man, fire. By the way, fire, super useful. We, we don't notice it as much today, but even a light bulb or old light bulbs, you know, they burn. Fire. Super useful, but when it's out of control, causes huge, vast damage. We've all seen, you know, news stories about millions of acres going up in flame out west in our forests. And how did that start? Well, naturally, maybe by lightning, but maybe just because somebody had a, a campfire and a spark flew out or somebody tossed a cigarette butt. I mean, and all of a sudden, millions of acres are lost, damaged, burned up. And this is the problem. Our tongues can ignite movements that are just as destructive as that in our lives. Because with the, the power of the tongue, we can scorch people. We can devalue people. Words are used to, nowadays to divide people up into groups that, 
and then align them against other groups. And we're all tempted to do that. We're all tempted to put people into categories, not to devalue them, but putting people into categories always ends up devaluing them. That happens all the time. We do that with words. And God's saying it shouldn't be that way. God teaches us, hey, that we should love all people, that we're all the same, that we're all one blood, that we're not a bunch of little tribes. We're all one. And God wants all people to be saved, Scripture tells us. Of course, in order to do that, we have to admit our wrongs. And part of the wrongs that we've all committed, we've all done, is misuse our speech. And God's saying that, just like every sin, every wrong that we've ever done, actually deserves punishment from a perfectly righteous judge, a good judge. And that punishment is separation from God forever in hell. But God loves us, so he made a way by sending Jesus, and Jesus lived his life until he was crucified without ever committing a sin, and therefore the only one qualified to die for our sins, and that we can receive forgiveness through faith, where God can forgive us without violating his own justice because Jesus paid for our sins. So every sin was still paid for. It's just that we didn't have to do it. And that's a gift that we receive only through faith. By the way, last week, last Sunday, 12 people in this room indicated to us that they made a decision to follow Christ, to come to him simply by faith and follow him. Isn't that cool? So, and, and if you happen to be one of those 12, then, or maybe somebody that didn't even indicate that, we do have some resources for you that, that I didn't give last Sunday, and they're in these uh, baskets up here. You could just come up after service and grab a bag or stop by the information table or room one. And it's just something for you to look at and read through and help solidify the decision that you made, uh, Free free gift from us to you. And then he kind of ends this section, James does, by saying, hey, when we use our tongues to tear down, it's, it's ultimately source is from hell. It's rebellion against God. Then in verse 7, he talks about, hey, the savage, savageness of the tongue shows its power. And let's pick it up there. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. He's saying, hey, as human beings, we have tamed all manner of beasts. I mean, go to SeaWorld, check it out. But we can't tame the tongue, is what he's telling us. But what's impossible for us becomes possible when God's in our life by his grace. And so his grace and his power helps us to be self-controlled and have control over our tongue. He describes it as a restless evil full of deadly poison. It reminds us of the tongue's destructive nature. But here's the thing. It's not just the power of the tongue that James wants us to understand. It's powerful and it can be destructive, 
But he also wants us to see the potential of the tongue, that because its power and can be destructive, its power can also be used for good. It can go either way, he's telling us. And that's what he says next. He's saying, the power of speech is one of God's greatest gifts, and it's got amazing potential, but we've got to be constantly on our guard to use it correctly, or we will miss our mark with our speech. So I mentioned Jake, uh, whose parent, he goes to our church, his parents go to our church, he's married to my daughter, and uh, Jake and his dad, John, they elk hunt a lot, and they invited me to an elk hunt this fall in Idaho. They actually had invited me to one other elk hunt before, which is about 12 or 15 years ago, and I went. And these guys aren't really hunters. They're really killers. I mean, they kill elk. They bring home meat. Every hunt, they bring home a trailer full of elk meat, except the one year when they asked me to go with them. They got nothing. They, we were all skunked. And we went out, and they said, you pick the state, and I picked Colorado because that's where I'm from. And we went out there. We were in the wilderness on horseback, all, we, and we were in different groups you know, two pairs, and we saw elk every day. Every single day we saw elk. We never once saw a mature elk, which is all we had to tag to kill, and skunked. Incredibly, they've asked me to go again 15 years later. <laughs> and so here, we're getting ready for this, and as I get in, because there's a lottery, you know, to be able to hunt in a certain area, and so I'm signing up for that online, and, and then I find out it's, an, it's a bow hunt. I can't kill an elk with a rifle. And so we're going on a bow hunt. And I'm like, oh. And so I, I've had a bow, like when I was in my young 20s, I bought a used bow and I shot it a few times, you know, but I once showed that to Jake and I said, here, let me draw it. And he said, maybe you better not do that. You know, it, it didn't look safe to him. But anyway, so we're on this hunt, so I'm trying to get ready. And, uh, and Jake's never seen me shoot a bow, which is a really good thing. And then before he left to do all this qualifying for the Olympics, he set me up with a bow. He gave me a, a, a bow and he made four arrows that he custom made for me. So I have a bow and four arrows. And he says, now you can practice with this. So I took the bow and my four arrows. And I went to the back of my house and I set up a target. And then I put a sheet of plywood behind that. And that was all in front of a stack of wood. And so, because uh, I don't know how I'm going to shoot. So anyway, I got four arrows, right? So the first time I shoot the four arrows, first arrow goes into the ground, just into the ground, not even to the target yet. All right. Second arrow, I launched that thing, never saw that arrow again. <laughs> Third arrow misses the target, but it hits the plywood. And then the fourth arrow, yeah, thank you. And then the fourth arrow misses the target, but hits the plywood. Well, I go, I get one arrow out, and then I'm, I'm messing, 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 and the plywood falls over and it snaps the other arrow. So I got the one from the ground and the one of the two that hit the plywood. I got a missing arrow, and a broken arrow, and two arrows. Okay, now I'm going to go back to shoot my fifth shot. So I go back, and I shoot again. Now I only have two arrows to shoot. One gets launched, and I never see that arrow again. <laughs> and the next arrow hits, misses the target, hits the plywood, which shifts the plywood that makes it flop over, and it snaps it. So after six shots, I have no more arrows. I'm done. He's out of state. I'm finished. I'm through. Really disappointing. Really glad Jake was out of state and it, that he's not here today. And so that happens. And the weird thing about it is about two days later, I'm driving out on the 
bypass, kind of out there going by Lowe's. And then it, I'm thinking about the bow, and I'm thinking how bad I was shooting, and then I realized, oh, on that bow that Jake gave me, there's actually a peep sight, a little circle in the string, and I had forgotten about that. And I'm like, oh, there's a peep sight on that bow. I didn't even use it. I wasn't even aiming right. So now I'm thinking, I've got to get some arrows. I got to try shooting once using the sights correctly, but I don't have any more arrows. So we're watching Jake and Bree's kids. And so their oldest is like five and their next oldest is three. And so there's Brianne sitting with Pam, my wife over there. But anyway, so I take them and they want to go back to the woods, to take a little walk. So I walk them back to the woods and then I'm remembering, oh, this, I lost two arrows. So maybe we could find those. I could try to shoot using the sight. And so I'm telling the kids, I, I, I say, hey, hey, as we take this walk, I show them a broken arrow that's still out there. I go, we're looking for something like this. If you see any of this land on the ground, if you see one like this, tell me, granddad really needs this. So look for this, look for this notching. And they're like, and then, and they're kind of looking at me like, what? And I'm like, we're looking for this arrow. Then finally I say, you've probably done this with your dad. You know, we're looking for an arrow. And then they say, no, granddad. I go, yeah, an arrow we're trying to find. No, granddad. No, when dad shoots, he always hits the target. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Just keep your eyes open, right? You know, so Here, here's the thing. With the words that come out of our mouth, we can do great damage. We can miss the target. We can mess. We can hurt people. We can mess things up. That's what James is telling us. He's saying by the same token, we can use our words that come out of our mouth. We can use them for good. And so it's easy to hit the wrong target. He's saying, be careful with your words. Pick it up in verse nine. As we continue, it says, with it, and he's talking about the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. He's saying, use your speech for good. For some reason, this last week, I was kind of thinking about high school and stuff, and I remembered this girl that, was, that went to our high school. And she was a girl that never talked to anybody, didn't have any friends, and she was kind of a hard person to talk to because if you did say something to her, she'd sort of snap back. She had like zero social skills, and uh, she was just isolated. And so... Then I, you know, I was going to church and, you know, I decided, you know, I should just try to befriend this person, at least say hi to her. And so I started doing that just because I thought maybe God would want me to do that. So I started saying hi to her. So every day if I passed her in the hall or something, I'd say hi. Nobody said hi to, to her. And at first, I think she thought I was sort of picking at her or something, like doing something wrong. But she, but I just kept doing it. And, and then she would just not acknowledge it in any way. So it went from reacting badly to then not acknowledging that I was saying hi at all. But then, a few months later, she actually would say hi back. She wouldn't look at me. She would just, hi, you know, say hi back. And then I just kept doing it in a few months. And, and of course, the first times you're doing that, you're walking with other people. I'm like, why are you saying hi to her? You know, it's just going to make her mad. And, uh, but then she started saying hi back. And then, a few months later, she started making eye contact and saying hi back 
And then a few months after that, we actually had some very simple, short conversations uh, if we were in the same area. I should have shared Christ with her. I should have pointed her to Jesus. Because in our school, nobody needed a friend more than she did. But I didn't. But I was just reminded about how, how much potential simple words have in someone's life. You know, we have the opportunity to speak truth into people's life. And even when they react badly, sometimes they'll sort of come around and, and warm up. And it doesn't really matter what they do. We're just supposed to do what we're supposed to do. That's what God would want us to do. There's unlimited potential in simple words of kindness and especially words that point people to Jesus. And so James is pointing out, hey, to praise God and point people to him, it's the highest use of our tongue. He continues in verse 11, he says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. And so he, he's telling us that there's really should be only one kind of talk that comes out of a believer's mouth. He's not instructing us to stay silent, although it makes us want to stay silent more. He's actually instructing us to do good. One mile south of our house on Route 19 is Green Springs, and Green Springs is named after the largest sulfur spring in the world. How many people knew that? So Green Springs, and sometimes you smell it before you see it, you know, it's just right on the side of the road as you enter the town. You know, the largest sulfur spring in the world, eight million gallons every 24 hours of sulfur water comes out of the springs. You can't use it for, actually a guy named Jacob Stem bought the spring from Seneca Indians, and I, I looked that up. It, he paid them 12 bags of wheat, 12 bags of oats, 12 bags of corn, and one mule. And it, it gets a spring. And the spring, though, you can't drink the water, although some people do drink some of it or did for medicinal purposes, but you can't drink it. You, there's no way to separate the sulfur water from the, the spring that can produce good water if the sulfur wasn't in it. It's all together. That's what James is telling us. Hey, can different water come from the same spring? No, it's all one kind of water. He's telling us the one type of thing that should be coming out of our mouth is glorifying God and pointing people to Jesus. That's his point. That's the only kind of talk that should come from our tongue. Proverbs in the Old Testament over and over says the same thing. In 1218, it says, there is one who speaks rashly like thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Huge. The tongue reveals and expresses 
what's in our heart. That's what James is saying. By the way, that's the exact same thing that Jesus said. In Matthew 15, 18, he said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, Jesus said, and those defile the man. Here's Jesus. He's in this whole chapter. He's in sort of a running debate with the Pharisees, and they're all concerned about these little details, these Old Testament laws that were only for the Jewish people to keep them separate before the Messiah came. And you couldn't eat some things and all this, and that was against the law, the biblical law, societal laws for Jewish people. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, I get that, but bigger issue is than putting what you put into your mouth and you're worried about being defiled. The bigger issue is what comes out of your mouth because that's coming from your heart. That's what defiles a person. And he's spot on. That's what Jesus is telling us. Our words reflect our hearts. So my challenge today is simply that we would commit to controlling our tongues. We would commit to controlling our words. And, you know, for me to just say that, it's like, okay, yeah, well, I'll try to remember. But let me get more specific. Today, Father's Day, and tomorrow, and this week, like for me, I'm already thinking about some of the meetings that I have this week, and I'm trying, you know, I want to, I'm actually waiting to print my notes out. So right across the top of them, I say, hey, be careful with your words. Because we all need this. So let us commit as believers, those of us who are believers, this week to using our mouths as a discipline and saying only, you know, what's joyful, what's praise to God, what's edifying to people, what points people to our Savior. Today, tomorrow, let's make this our challenge. And so the question is, how will you do that? I've got some ideas on how I'm going to do that. How will you do that this week? Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the very practical instructions that it gives us in how to live the Christian life. And thanks for James who puts it down simply and concisely and illustrates it for us so well. And God, help those of us who are believers here today, help us to get serious about the power of our tongue and to make sure that we are aiming it correctly, that we are not being destructive. Lord, help us to get that right. And Father, for those who are with us, our family and friends here today who, who don't know for sure that they have a relationship with you, Father, we pray that your spirit would draw them to you and help them to see, and if they have questions, that they would get their questions answered. Lord, and take steps to you. Why? So that they can experience the joy, the forgiveness, the freedom that you give us in the Christian life that you have freed us from our sins, that our chains 
have been broken, that we can follow you. We don't have to work. We don't have to slave. We don't have to wonder what's going to happen. We know we're yours forever and nobody can separate us from your love. God, we thank you for that gift and that's what we want for everybody. In Christ's name, amen.